Daniel chapter 9. Let's pick up at verse 20. Verse 20. Now, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and and to uh, build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. He will do this Until, until, I'm sure you probably heard uh, we narrowly missed being hit by an asteroid. Hear about that? Yeah, we narrowly missed, the earth merely missed being hit by an asteroid, the size of which would have taken out New York City. Did you hear about that? Not many people heard about it, and here's the interesting thing. In all of our technology, we didn't see it. We didn't know it was there, and the quickest, the the fastest they could have given time, warning, was four hours. This asteroid came between us and the moon's orbit. They say in terms of the universe and in terms of those types of things, it, it was a fraction away from us. And it was big enough, they said, that it could have taken out, I don't know what they said, so many, many, many times more powerful than Hiroshima, Nagasaki. It could have taken out, like, New York City. And they could only give four hours warning. 
Now, you would think with all our technology, we would know it days, weeks, months, right? They said it got in the sun and we couldn't see it like trying to catch a fly ball in the sun. You couldn't see it until it was right there. I don't, that was their explanation. I just kind of laughed and was reminded that, you know, man is not sovereign, God is. If he wants to sneak an asteroid in on us, he will. He will. And all of our telescopes, all of our modern equipment, right? No, but here's the thing. When something like that happens, it always leads to apocalyptic sayings. It always leads to date setting. It always leads to, you know, people jumping up and talking about, you know, the prophecy of the end times and this and that. And, oh, my gosh, the end's near. What do we do? Uh, and they, they, they always say, you know, the world always looks at us as Christians and say, that's what you Christians always do. Something like this happens and you start talking apocalyptic end times kind of stuff. Well, listen, the world does it too. They do it too. What used to be global warming is now climate change. You remember in the days of global warming? We got 10 years. You remember all that? I think it was Al Gore. Uh, 10 years. We got 20 years. Well, guess what? He didn't get elected and we're still here. And so what are they doing now? We got 10 years. In 10 years, we got 20. And so all of this, so they can say all they want about us and asteroids come near and we start talking about the second coming of Christ, right? Let the temperature go up a little bit. Let us have the warmest June in history. And what do they start saying? We got 10 years. If we don't give up our cars and give up our air conditions, we got 10 years, right? So we all do it. We all do it. Now, I think it's clear, the scriptures are very clear, we are to be discerning. We are. Jesus warns us about this. We are to be discerning. Keep your finger here in Daniel 9 and go to Matthew chapter 16. I mean, this is one thing that he, Jesus really raked over the coals. The religious leaders of his day over this issue of not being discerning. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1, Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came testing Him. They came and they were testing Him, and they were asking that He would show them a sign from heaven. We want to see a sign. And He answered them and said, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning... It will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in morning, sailors take warning. I grew up with that. You remember? Down on the coast, uh, you know. So, yeah, that's what he's saying. You, you can see this. You can understand. And then he calls them hypocrites. You bunch of hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky? But you cannot discern the signs of the times. Now, specifically in context, he's talking about the signs of the Messiah. I am the Messiah. I am here. I'm right here and you can't see it. And you've missed it. You can see a storm coming and you can't discern this. What's more important? The Messiah is here. And so... He gets on them. He says, you, you should be discerning. You should have been looking for this. He calls them in verse 4, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign shall be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Show us a sign. 
you hypocrites. You can tell the weather and you can't see who's standing in front of you. You religious hypocrites. You can't discern that. So in that is a warning. We had better be able to discern, specifically, we had better be able to discern Christ, right? Because if we miss Him, that's it. We open the Bible, we read the Bible, and we see all kinds of things and miss Christ, then it's just as Jesus standing before us and saying, you hypocrites, you can discern all this other stuff. And you can't discern me. You can't see me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, we're told to discern spiritual things. There are certain things, spiritual things, things of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29, we're told in the connection with the Lord's Supper and communion, we are to discern the Lord's body. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, we are to discern between good and evil. So there are places where we are to be discerning. We are to look and try to understand the times and signs and figure out where are we, what are we doing, and that. There there are places where we're to do that. But there's also Jesus saying about specifically about his coming, no man knows. And implied in that is no man will know. And if you remember, he said, even the Son of Man. That is in the Father's hands. So yeah, be discerning. But there are certain things we don't know and we will not know. Acts chapter 7, they ask him, the apostles, or Acts chapter 1 there, uh, verse 7. They're, they're with him and they say, okay, at this time you're going to restore the kingdom? You're going to put it back together? You're going to get rid of these Romans? And he responds much the same way to them. It's not for you to know. That's in the Father's hands. That's in the King's hands. Deuteronomy chapter 29. Moses tells the people of Israel. He says there in in about verse 29. There towards the end of the chapter. He says to those Jews. To those Israelites. To the people. Secret things belong to God. There are certain things that belong to Him. We're to live a life of faith. We're to live a life of faith, not panic. But Moses says this. The second part of what he says is this. But revealed things are given to us. And why are they given to us? So that we will obey. So that we will obey. So where do we dabble? Secret things? Dates? Times? Or do we pour ourselves into the things that are clear? And I think, I think you see it becomes pretty clear what we should do. So then, at what point does our date setting, at what point does our desire for times and seasons and dates, trying to figure out is the end near, And uh, what we should be doing in that. At what point does that conflict with a life of faith and trust in God? It can conflict. And it has. Throughout the history of the church, it has. Because people have gone nuts over date setting. People have gone nuts over signs and things like that. So at what point does it conflict 
with a life of faith, knowing the decrees of God. There are certain decrees that are clear. God has decreed. God has said this will happen. God has said these things will take place. He may use us in that. He may not use us in that. He's not dependent on us. He's not dependent on man. He will do it. He said he would send the Messiah. Guess what he did? He sent the Messiah. Jesus will come back one day. And guess what? He will come back one day. He's decreed it. It's going to happen. And there's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do to try to stop it. We might say, I don't want it to happen today. If he chose to happen today, if for it to happen today, then guess what? It happens today. If he waits another thousand years, guess what? I don't care how much you want it. It's another thousand years before he comes back. I think, I think on one level we understand that, don't we? I think we do. He may use us, he may not. And to be honest, again, he doesn't need us. So then what that tells us is that we are to live a life of faith and trust and obedience to him. Every day. This is the crux. This is where Daniel, this is the crux of the book of Daniel. You know, we've talked about dare to be a Daniel. Yeah, get dare to go stand in a lion's den. Okay, yeah, dare to do that. Yeah, but dare to trust God even when it doesn't make total sense. Dare to trust God when you can't figure out why this has happened. Dare to trust God when you look and you think, man, this is terrible. This is bleak. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. Dare to trust him in that. That's Daniel. One thing he has decreed is that in the end, we're going to be okay. Now, are we going to live a life of faith in that? Are we going to dare to be a Daniel in that? Well, here's the 70 weeks, beginning in verse 20. 70 weeks. There's something that I want you to see in this. And the first thing that we look and we see in, beginning in verse 20, this answer, this prayer, this is an answer to Daniel's prayer. Daniel has prayed. We looked at that last week in the first part of chapter 9. He has prayed. He's poured his heart out to God. He's confessed sin. He's identified with the people, this humble prayer that he makes. He understands sin. He understands that the exile and what's happened with Nebuchadnezzar and what's happened with the Babylonians is exactly what God said would happen. Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you don't obey me, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send an oppressor and I'm going to scatter you. And that's exactly what he did with Nebuchadnezzar. That's exactly what he did with the Babylonians. But Daniel also, in reading the Word of God, you remember it says specifically he's reading Jeremiah, and he identifies Jeremiah as the Word of God. He's reading, and he comes to places, some places, maybe like Jeremiah chapter 24, where there's this beautiful promise of restoration. I'm going to do this, but yet I'm going to restore and I'm going to bring back and I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to restore my people. I'll bring them back to my land. And then specifically, uh, Jeremiah chapter 25, there's the set mention of the 70 years. The 70 years is mentioned in 2 Chronicles, the very end of 2 Chronicles. The 70 years is mentioned again in Zechariah chapter 1, Zechariah chapter 7. I'm reading Jeremiah and there's this promise. This will only last 70 years and God will restore his people. And that prompted Daniel to pray. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. He's pleading with God. 
pleading for mercy. We have sinned. And this humble, beautiful prayer that he makes. Well, God answers. And the 70 weeks is a direct answer to Daniel's prayer. And remember what Daniel's praying about. God have mercy. God have mercy. Bring about the restoration. And God answers. God answers. Look at the first thing that he says in verse 20. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, he's praying, my people. You see my, the personal pronouns here, confessing my sin, praying for my people, my God, the holy mountain of my God. This would have been Jerusalem. Jerusalem was up. The temple would have been up. So he's praying for the restoration of Jerusalem, which is in ruins. And there's, by the way, there's been no sign that it's going to happen. He just knows God's decreed it. He just just knows God's promised it. Verse 21, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, Gabriel shows up, whom I had seen in a vision at the beginning. He's already seen Gabriel. Gabriel has already appeared to him. He may be the man in chapter 10, or may not be. So here comes Gabriel. The man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering, and he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. I want you to understand this. You remember who Jesus, John 14, John 16, you remember who Jesus said, it's this this one person, he's going to come, And he's going to lead you into truth. He's going to give you understanding. You remember who he said that was? It was the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus said, I have to go. It's needful for me to go away. If I go, the comfort is going to come. And when he comes, he's going to convict you of sin. He's going to lead you into truth. That's what he's going to do. Here Gabriel comes to Daniel and Gabriel says, I've come to give you understanding. Verse 23, at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Daniel, you are greatly beloved. He's going to be called this again. He's going to be called this again, the greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Now, here we go. Gabriel comes. I've come to give you understanding. And in verse 24, here it comes. The 70 weeks. He says 70 weeks are determined. 70 weeks are decreed. A sovereign king has decreed this to happen. And he says these 70 weeks are for your people and for your holy city. So the 70 weeks is specifically for the Israelites, the Jews, and for Jerusalem. Now, there's six things in rapid succession that he says, Gabriel says. Here are the six things. One, to finish the transgression. Two, to make an end of sins. Three, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Five, to seal up vision and prophecy. And six, to anoint the most holy. These six things are going to be accomplished in these 70 weeks. That's what Gabriel's saying. These six things are what's going to be done. Now, if you look at it and break it down even further, the first three 
deal with one thing. The next three deal with another. So these six are broken into two sets of three. The first three are positive. Or actually, the first three are negative. The second three are the ones that are positive. Now, I don't, I don't fully know and understand all of what does this have to do with something that was going on at the time. Does it have to do with the end of the exile? Does it have to do with some other you know, things in different time periods or what? But I do know this. Ultimately, all of these things are fulfilled. Ultimately, all of these things are completed in Christ. In the Messiah. Because I think that's where the 70 weeks are going. It's going to the time of the Messiah. So, to finish transgression. Make an end of sins. To make reconciliation for iniquity. Who is the ultimate one who's done that? It's Christ, right? Through His death on the cross, His burial, His resurrection. And then to bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy... Who is it that ultimately completes that? It's Christ who ultimately completes that. So wherever this plays out, however it plays out in time, I think it's ultimately pointing to Christ. He's the one who's going to do this. Now Daniel, uh, uh, Gabriel tells Daniel in verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the, from the going forth of the command, the command to restore and to build Jerusalem, until Messiah the Prince... There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The 70 weeks are broken down into three periods. There is the first seven. There is 62. And then there is a final week. So when you add those up, they are 70 weeks. Now, these are not weeks like we think. They're literally 77s. What we're talking about is 49 years, 434 years, and seven years. We're talking about a time period here of 490 years. Now, one option that we have in trying to understand this is to say that all of this is symbolic language. The 490 years is just symbolic. The 49 and the weeks, the 70 weeks, it's symbolic language. Now, there are plenty of Bible-believing, solid people who see this as being just symbolic language. It's talking about times exile and restoration. Exile, restoration. Sin, restoration. Ultimately, the restorer of all this is Christ. So that's one option. The other option is to say, no, the 490 years are real, literal years. And so then we have to say, okay, how are they going to play out? When did they start? When are they going to end? And in that, there's one group that says all of this happens during Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, we've already seen Antiochus. He's the little horn. So all of this happened and it was fulfilled before Christ, essentially. Others say, no, that this is going to begin with this decree to rebuild Jerusalem. And it's going to end with the time and the coming of the Messiah, which was 30 A.D. And then the final week is the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Now stay with me, because this will make sense in a second. So they see it as the 70 weeks being running up to the time of the Messiah and then the time shortly after the Messiah. Others who say, no, it's a literal 490 years would say this. It is the time leading, it's the time of the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the time leading up to the Messiah. 
He is cut off. He's crucified. And then we enter into a pause. It's as if God hits the pause button. And the final week is not until the very end. And the final week, things like the tribulation and things like that, some of the things that we see possibly in the book of Revelation. So that's our options in trying to understand when is this 490 years going to happen. You scratching your head? You scratching your head, throwing your shoulder your shoulders and saying, so am I. So am I. Which one do you believe? I'll be honest with you. Of the last two that I described, going up to the Messiah, the time of the fall of Jerusalem, or Paul's button, and so two days a week I believe one of those, two days a week I believe another, or actually three days a week I believe one of those, three days a week I believe the other, and one day a week I rest from it. What am I saying? Yeah, I try to discern it. Yeah, I try to understand it. I want to understand historically what's going on. I want to try to figure out because in, in trying to do that, it keeps us from some stupid, silly interpretation of it. But yet at the end of the day, I'm not so sure that's the main point. I'm not so sure Gabriel's telling Daniel, listen, there's going to be some people in Mississippi a long time from now, and they're going to be going through this book, and there's going to be some crazy preacher trying to understand what's being said. Now, I'm going to give you the understanding so that he can have the key to understanding when the 490 years start and when this happens and when... I don't have a key. If someone says they do, run from them. They don't have a key. But you know what? I can read this. And I can wrestle with the 70 weeks. And I can wrestle with 49 and 62 and 7. And when is this Cyrus? Is this after Cyrus? Does this have to do with Ezra? What does this have to do with... I can wrestle with all that. But I think we miss something here. We rush to try to set times and dates and seasons and we miss something that's being communicated. We miss it with the whole book of Daniel too. So, here are these 70 weeks. They're going to be divided. There will be seven weeks, 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. Jerusalem will be rebuilt. It was rebuilt during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, and it was during troublesome times. Maybe that's the 49 years, the first seven. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Now, I do think this carries us up to the time of the Messiah. The Messiah being cut off is a clear reference, I think, to his death. It's the same language Isaiah uses. Isaiah 53. Carries us up to about 30 A.D., somewhere in that neighborhood. Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood till the end of the war of desolations are determined. And he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice. An offering on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. Something bad's going to happen. If it's the Romans in 70 AD, then it's the Romans in 70 AD that destroyed Jerusalem. If he's pushing this, and if this is to the end, then what he's talking about is the Antichrist that's to come. 
We've already seen this with Daniel. He's already talked about the Antichrist. There's a bad dude coming. And this could be what he's talking about. But you notice how this ends. I want you to notice how this ends, and I want you to go back, and we're going to go back, and I want you to see how this starts. Now, let me say this. So much more. And maybe, we, maybe we'll do, some, at, at some other point, Lord willing, we'll do. We'll get into the nitty-gritties and put it on a chart and see, okay, and discuss this in, in connection with the end times. There's so much more that could be said about the times here. All right? So I, I don't want you to just get the idea, well, just ignore it. No, we're not going to ignore it. We're just going to discern what's important out of it and what's not. Okay? So so much more could be said here. But I want you to notice how this ends. So there's going to be this bad guy, and on the wing of abominations shall one be who makes desolate. He's going to come. He's going to destroy. Until. That's what it literally says. Until. I don't know about you, but that until sends chills up my spine. Because what it's about to say is there's a sovereign one in control of all this. It's going to happen until the consummation, which is determined until what is decreed is poured out don't miss this, is poured out on who? On the desolate. On the one making desolation. How does it end? God's bringing it to an end and He's going to judge this joker. How does it begin? Verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed. How does it end? Until what is decreed. You get the picture? Who's calling the shots here? God is. God's going to start it. God's going to end it. Is that not the way it is with creation? God created it. God's going to bring it to an end. Right? Seventy weeks are decreed. Until the decree, until the end, God is sovereign, not man. Even the seventy years Daniel understood from Jeremiah, the seventy years were determined. Nothing could change it. Daniel couldn't say, make it 72 years. Nothing could change it. There's a sovereign king who set these things into motion. There's a sovereign king who's going to bring these things to an end. It's not about trying to figure out the years and this. This is what it's about. This is where the bottom line comes. You remember the six things that happened during the, seven, during the 70 weeks? The six things that happened. This is the issue. Can I see Christ in it? Can I see Him in it? 
Yes, I can. What is it that's going to help me live a life of faith? Figuring out the 490 years? Or seeing Christ? What is it that's going to help me love God? What is it that's going to help me love my neighbor? Setting a date? Or seeing Christ? What's going to ultimately save me from my sins? What's ultimately going to save me from my own rebellious heart? What is ultimately going to reconcile me to God? Dates? Or Christ? I mean, this is what I see here. We miss Christ, we miss it all. Right? Do I see Him? But I have to go to one more question. If I see Him, am I living for Him? Am I? I think I am. I think I am. But how much, is your, how much of your life is shaped by the Word of God? And how much of your life is shaped by this fallen? How do you see it? I see Him. I want to live for Him. It doesn't always make sense. I don't always understand why if I wake up tomorrow and I find out something terrible, something sudden happens, someone dies or I get some health diagnosis or something is threatening my whole life and world. I don't quite understand why but I see Christ in it. And I can live a life of faith. Right? I can live a life of faith. You can't if you're not a believer. If you're not a believer, you can't do this. If you're not a believer, this makes no sense to you. If you're not a believer, you don't see the gospel, This, this, this eventually makes you mad. This eventually ticks you off. Because at the heart of a rebellious sinner is I will do it. No, you won't. No, you won't. You need Christ.